Well, let's pray as we turn to God's word for us this morning. On this Easter Sunday, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, I never get tired of the story of Easter. I never get tired of Easter morning gatherings like this, especially with a full house. And you look so wonderful today all the way in the back. Hello, everybody. We're so glad that you are here. There's something really holy about withholding this story through the Lenten season and all of Holy Week so that we can gather here on Easter Sunday year after year to proclaim the good news that this day, The day that Jesus Christ defeated death is the center of our faith, and it changes everything. changes everything. This Lenten season, our preaching series has been on the character study of the disciple Peter, who is so central in many of Jesus' narratives. Peter is deeply flawed, often doing and saying things that are impetuous and misguided. But then sometimes... Peter has moments of brilliant faith. Brilliant faith. And in this way, he's someone that I think each and every one of us are meant to identify with. Because everyone who desires to follow Jesus is both flawed and faithful. Oftentimes in the same moment. And you can put me at the front of that line. We've been hearing from Peter and have been encouraging you to see him as an avatar. A way for us to step into these narratives And hear the invitations of Jesus fresh for us. And I've been preparing for the grand climax of Peter's story, the resurrection of Jesus as as the center of our faith, the climax of the Bible. And for Christians, it's the climax of human history. And since Peter has been the second most prominent character in the Gospels next to Jesus, it stands to reason that his experience of the resurrection of Jesus is the climax of his story as well. So where is Peter in the story of the resurrection of Jesus, and what is Jesus' invitation? Well, this is where things get a little bit interesting. Um, We have an account that I've already told you about when I talked with the kids about Peter and John at the tomb, where they find the tomb empty, the grave clothes are folded there, they're confused, they don't exactly know what's going on. But we do not get an account of Peter encountering the resurrected Jesus Christ at the tomb on that day. It's almost like the the climactic chapter of a book or a movie just is omitted completely. It's not in any of the four Gospels. None of the four Gospels share a story of Peter encountering Jesus on Easter. But we know, we know that Jesus did appear to Peter on that day because it's recorded twice elsewhere in Scripture. Let me walk you through them. The first is in Luke 24. It's on the very same day that Jesus was resurrected. He appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. These are not two of the 12 disciples. They're other followers of Jesus, leaving Jerusalem on that day. And when Jesus reveals himself, it says in verses 33 and 34 that the disciples got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon Peter. So if we're reading this correctly, and we're trying to build a timeline of Easter Sunday, this means that Jesus first appeared to the women. We know that. That is clear in Scripture. Appeared to the women first. And then at some point, he appeared to Peter, either at the tomb or somewhere else. And then these disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
Furthermore, the Apostle Paul substantiates his claim much later in his letter to First Corinthians, his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians. In First Corinthians 15, he says, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Cephas is another name for Peter that Paul uses frequently in his letters. So Paul agrees with Luke 24. Indeed, Jesus did appear to Peter on Easter Sunday, either at the tomb or somewhere else in an individual meeting with Peter. So this begs the question, I hope if you're listening, if you haven't lost you already, that you're already asking this question. Why wouldn't the Gospels have an account of this? Why would this not be in our Bible? The Gospel writers have been practically begging us to enter into the narratives in Peter's shoes, but then they don't offer us a resurrection narrative with Peter? The most important narrative of all the narratives in Scripture? That's a little strange, right? And it's especially curious that Mark does not carry this account in his gospel. Why? Why is that? Why is it curious that Mark wouldn't do that? Well, most scholars believe that Mark was written by a disciple named John Mark and that Peter himself was the primary source material for his gospel. It was Peter's account of his life and ministry. So the story goes something like this. In the sixth decade of the first century, Peter is in Rome. He is proclaiming Jesus uh, through sermons, through, through proclamation, through ministry. And he's talking about the gospel of Jesus. And then the great fire of Rome breaks out in 64. Maybe you learned about that in your history classes. The fire began in the Circus Maximus in Rome. It burned for over six days. It, it, it consumed large parts of 10 of the 14 different regions in Rome. And historians are actually convinced that the emperor Nero started the fire himself Um, and that he needed a scapegoat for starting this fire. And so we had this new movement of people who keep talking about this strange Jesus of Nazareth. So he blamed the Christians for starting this fire, which meant widespread persecution in the city of Rome for Christians. Peter is the established leader of the church in Rome. He's very public in his ministry in Rome. So he was a wanted man at this point. And it's believed that John Mark, the gospel writer of Mark, went to Rome to hear Peter preach about Jesus, to hear Peter's stories, and to interview him. Because the early church knew, because of this persecution, that Peter's life might not last much longer, and we need to record these stories of an eyewitness account like Peter's. And Peter didn't, Peter's life did not last very much longer. So Mark listened to Peter's sermons about Jesus. He interviewed him. He captured these stories that were already captivating so many people. And if this is true, it means that when we read Mark's gospel, we're really reading Peter's gospel. His eyewitness account of following Jesus, the one who was closest to Jesus. So if you read Mark beginning to end, which I would encourage you to do, it won't take you very long. It's hard to escape the feeling that Peter's accounts and his voice are leading the way in this gospel. Which makes it even more curious that Peter, if it's his account, wouldn't share this with Mark. He wouldn't share, him, share with him the account of him encountering the resurrected Christ. Wouldn't that be an important part of the story? Why would Mark omit that from his gospel? Well, there's some answers for that. 
Some scholars believe that maybe the gospel writers had it wrong, that Peter didn't really encounter the resurrected Jesus. But again, there are at least a couple passages in Scripture that say otherwise. Some say that Mark just didn't have enough space. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Maybe it was a short parchment. He didn't have enough space, so he really had to curate his stories. Although it seems pretty curious that he would not prioritize the climax of the story from Peter's perspective. I have a tough time believing that one. And another theory is that the meeting between Jesus and Peter was so emotional and so raw and so holy that Peter simply did not have the heart to share it. He just couldn't do it. He got choked up. He couldn't do it. Because remember that the last time that we hear about Peter in the Gospel of Mark before the death and resurrection of Jesus is when Peter denies Jesus. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And what does Peter say? That's not going to happen, Jesus. Me? I'm not going to do that. I would die with you before I would deny you. But then later that night, When Jesus was arrested and brought before the high priest Caiaphas, Peter did exactly what Jesus said that he was going to do. So I just want you to imagine for a moment what it might have been like for Peter to dictate that story to Mark. When Mark sits down and says, tell me about that, he says, hey, i got to tell you about the night that Jesus was arrested. So I want to try and tell this story in Peter's voice. I know I'm taking some liberties in doing that, but I don't really think it's that much of a stretch. Mark would have taken the story directly from Peter, so I'm going to change this narrative to to, to first person to get a sense of what it might have been like for Peter to say this to John Mark. While While I was below in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas, one of the female servants of the high priest came by, and when she saw me warming myself by the fire, Mark, our eyes met, and she stared at me and said, You were there. You were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth, right? But I denied it, saying, I don't know or understand what you're talking I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand this. And then I got scared, and I went into the forecourt to get away from the people. And the female servant, after seeing me, began to say to some of the bystanders, That man is one of them. But again, I, I just I denied it. And then after a little time, some of the others who were there looked at me and they said, come on, certainly you're one of them. For your Galilean, your hillbilly accent gives you away. And then I began to call down curses. And I swore an oath. I don't even know the man that you're talking about. I don't know who he is. At that moment, the rooster crowed, for a second time, and then I remembered that Jesus, my friend, my Savior, had said to me before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times, and I left the courtyard, and I fell on the ground, and I wept. You see, when you understand that Mark is telling these stories from the perspective of Peter, certain texts just mean more, don't they? And maybe when Mark asked Peter, okay, so I I have the denial story, I understand it. Now tell me about the resurrection of Jesus. Tell me when you saw the resurrected Jesus on that Sunday. Maybe maybe Peter just said to him, no, I never tell that story. That story's between me and Jesus forever. It's too painful. It drums up all of that denial and all of that sin. And and, and that denial, which was in so many ways worse than Judas' denial. At least Judas named who Jesus was. I couldn't even do that. 
No, what Jesus said to me at the tomb, it's too raw, it's too gut-wrenching, it's too holy. I've sealed that, I put in a box forever. It's gone. I'm not going to share that story. So that, that was sort of my working theory of maybe why this isn't in the Gospel of Mark. And I got excited about it, so I reached out to um, a mentor of mine who's the most brilliant New Testament scholar that I know and have access to. And I, and I laid out this theory hoping that maybe he might agree with me or might even say, wow, Lars, I never really thought about that before. Um, and what he said is that he noted that every resurrection narrative in all four of the Gospels are summative. There are lots of details that are omitted from them. The timeline of Jesus' appearances on that day are, are, are not perfectly clear. There are other resurrection appearances, notably James, that are not in the Gospels either. And we only know about these, these resurrection appearances because of Paul's letters. Furthermore, Peter has opportunity to speak about this, this encounter with Jesus in his sermons and acts. There are numerous sermons and acts. He also has two full letters in the New Testament where he could have shared these, and he didn't. He said to me, so your theory is perhaps plausible, Lars, but have you considered that maybe, just maybe, Peter's individual experience was not as important as the main event itself? The resurrection of Jesus. And that's why he's a brilliant scholar. And I think he's right. I think that when Peter was asked to share or, or, or to preach about the resurrection of Jesus... He did not want the focus to be on his sin, his denial, his reaction, his confessions, but just on the fact that Jesus is alive. The disciple who has all but begged us to step into his shoes, every single narrative might well have looked at the resurrection of Jesus and said, it's not about me. It's not about me. There's, there's not a spotlight in the world big enough for me to be any part of it when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He needs all of it. I don't get any of it. It's not about me. It's all about him. If you put me in that narrative, Mark, all I'm going to do is detract and distract from the real thing, which is Jesus himself. And that's the first lesson for us here today on Easter Sunday. The focus of your life should be on the resurrected Christ, not you. Not you. We have so much preoccupation and language around our journey with Jesus and our conception of Jesus and our experience of faith. Hear me out, all of that's important on some level, but it's not as important as who Jesus is. If what we're proclaiming here today, that a man named Jesus of Nazareth lived a sinless life and he died a criminal's death on a cross so that he could bear the weight of our sin and break the curse of sin and death on our lives, and that he did not stay dead but was raised to life so that he might offer us eternal life. If that is true, he gets all the spotlight. He gets it all. There's no room for you and me and our experiences to butt into that frame. The focus needs to be solely on him. So whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever needs you have that need to be met, whatever struggles you're having, whatever baggage you're carrying, whatever doubt you're wrestling with, they are not the main event. As important as they are, let's talk about them. They are not the main event. The main event is Jesus. And if Peter, of all people, could affirm that Jesus was the main event, a guy who clearly liked to butt into any frame he possibly could and make himself known, then we can do the same. So I have a question for you today, and I want every eye, especially young eyes, I want you on me right now. Let me ask a question. What's the focus of your life? What's the focus of your life? Is it on you and your experiences and your performance and your preference and your perspective? 
Or is the focus of your life on Jesus? The fact that we do not have a narrative of Peter's interaction with the resurrected Jesus is an indication that Peter was saying, it's all about Jesus, it's not about me anymore. Which is quite a transformation for Peter. I have one more thing to add, though, about Peter and that day of resurrection. Another text that just means that much more when we realize that Peter's voice is coming through in Mark. Maybe you picked up on this as Tammy read this at the top of the service, but hear it again. This is about the women who go and they find the tomb empty and they find an angel of the Lord is there at the tomb. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. It's right over here. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You're going to see him just as he told you. I have been so stuck on Mark 16, verse 7 for for like two months. The angel of the Lord says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Remember, it is likely that Peter is the one who is relaying the information to Mark about this. And what is Peter saying when he's relaying this to Mark? He's saying, the angel of the Lord on the resurrection day said my name. He said my name. And make no mistake, this angel of the Lord is bringing Jesus' message. It's not the angel's message, it's Jesus' message. And Jesus' message is specifically for Peter. Why? I think it's because Jesus... Even in his moment of glory, even in his great revealing of life beyond death, when he gets the whole spotlight and it's not about anybody or anything else, he is still thinking of Peter. He is reaching out in his moment of glory and simply saying his name. And by saying his name, he is communicating that he loves Peter and he sees Peter and he is ready to redeem Peter. The same Peter who said, I don't even know who that person is who failed to say the name of Jesus, now finds himself with his name on the lips of the angel of the Lord. How beautiful is that? And that's the second lesson for us on Easter. You'll hear nothing more important than this on an Easter Sunday. Jesus knows you and loves you, and he's thinking of you. Even in his moment of glory, you're on his mind, you're on his lips. He knew that Peter denied him, abandoned him, did about the worst thing that you could possibly do, but he did not give up on Peter. He longed for Peter's redemption and wholeness. Friends, I don't know what kind of weight you carry with you as you walk into Easter services here, Easter Sunday 2023. Maybe it's grief over the loss of something dear to you. Maybe you're operating out of shame and guilt. Maybe you're aware of your sin in a profound way this morning. Maybe you're dealing with situations in your life that feel just all-consuming and you are barely hanging on to hope. Maybe you've denied Jesus. Maybe you've sold him out. Maybe you've cursed him out. Maybe you've abandoned him. Maybe you're convicted that you've been pushing Jesus out of the spotlight and taking it for yourself. Friends, life is not about you but Jesus is all about you he knows there's nothing hidden from him he's not too busy he's not uninterested he's not apathetic he's naming you even when you failed to name him 
You see the Gospel of Mark? It is dripping with the faults of Peter over and over again. None of them are hidden. But that's not the last word on Peter because at the hinge moment of history, the inflection moment of the resurrection of Jesus, a messenger of the Lord says, I'm going to say Peter's name. He's already beginning the process of redemption for Peter. One last thought. Maybe Mark didn't include the narrative of Peter for another reason. Maybe he wanted to communicate to anyone who reads his gospel that we do not need Peter as an avatar to meet the risen Jesus. We don't need to try and step into this story from 2,000 years ago to experience it, that the risen Christ is available to you and me here right now. Friends, start by realizing that it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And then be reminded that when we take the spotlight off ourselves, we can rest in the knowledge that because of Christ, because of the resurrection, because of his grace, we too can sit in the incredible reality that the angel of the Lord says our name and he's going ahead of us and he's making a path before us. But for now, know that the risen Christ appears to you. He's available to you. And he knows you enough that his first act on this Resurrection Sunday is to say your name. Tell his disciples and Peter and Lars and Dan and Owen and John. I can't go through everybody, but you get the idea. He's making a way of redemption through his resurrection life. The time is now for you to follow him there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life that you offer to us. The life that you afford us through your resurrection power. Lord, would you remind us today that a life that is well lived and and pleasing and good is one that is focused upon you and not on ourselves. But that even as we do that, Lord, you see us and you know us. That as we put our focus upon you, your focus is on us. Your love and care for us. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today that they may have the courage to reach out to you. That they might know because of the life that you lived and the death that you defeated on that day that we too can experience the life that you offer to us and only you can offer it, Lord. We thank you that you are present and available to us, O risen Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?